Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Dell Wamsley. Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Dell Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, uh, someone sent me an article from the Epoch Times, and quite honestly, I have no idea what the Epoch Times is, so you can look it up and find out, uh, some type of a financial uh, type of uh, newsletter. But the reality is, is it stimulates a thought process that I want to share with you that I think is very important for this day and age, and probably been important ever since I've got into investing. And uh, let me go ahead and hit this article a little bit, and then we'll back off and talk about this for a second. It states, uh, housing bubble 2.0. Correction fears intensify as price median income gap widens. And it goes on and says, the U.S. economy is currently experiencing the hottest real estate market on record. The latest Realtor.com housing data show, according to the April Report from Realtor.com, uh, the median price advanced 14.2% year-over-year to $425,000. Housing experts suggest that the typical busy spring buying season will be notably competitive. Now, we got to stop right there for a second because numbers, they mean nothing. This, this type of data just boggles people's mind or really just goes over their head. But I want to stop you for a second, and I want you to understand where we're at financially with housing. The median price means that 50% of the homes for sale are less than this price, and 50% of the homes for sale are more than this price. Now, typically when you look at an average, an average is weighted towards the more expensive stuff, and so the average would be even higher than the median in almost every case that I've ever seen. It's been that way. So let's just say they're using the median to pick the lower of the two numbers. All right. Now let's go back for a start in investing in real estate in 87, 1987. Uh, the median was about $50,000 a house, and I was buying them for $25,000, 50 cents on the dollar. A couple of years later, the median had gone up to 75000 and a couple of years later, the median had gone up to 100000 And I stopped buying houses when I couldn't buy them for $40,000 anymore. Once they, you had to pay more than 40000 to get a house, I said, that's it. Housing is way too expensive. i got to get out of the housing business. Um, needless to say, housing continued to go up. 
And one of, one of the things I want to keep in mind is that back when housing was, you know, here in Houston, somewhere around $100,000 a house was the medium price. We used to look at the people in California where the median price was $400,000 and go, you guys are insane. You are literally insane where the median price of the homes out there cost $400,000. Now what we're looking at is nationwide, the whole country, the median price is 400000 425 California, I should have looked that up. The median price of California, I bet it's a million bucks right now. It's just impossible to believe. Now, 2008, we had a crash, big financial crash. The banks all went broke. Real estate went into massive foreclosure. There was all kinds of real estate for sale, 50 cents on the dollar. But the median price didn't go down. Even with all those foreclosures, the median price in Houston stayed at $150,000 per door. Within a year after that, it had gone up and up and up and up to 200, 225, 230, 235, 240, 250. And it went up like that on and on and on and on until I woke up one day and it was $325,000 median price. Now think about this. I started when the median was 50. It's now three. I got out when it was 40. It's now $325,000. That's what people, the median price home costs. But the median price kept going up. And as of right now, because of this COVID stuff, because of the lack of supply, because they're not building enough homes, because there's more and more people that are now becoming of age that they want to start their own family. They want to move out from mom and pop. They want to move out from two or three roommates in an apartment because they got a you know wife and a kid or whatever. They're getting ready to have a kid. This massive demand by this next generation to want to buy houses. And now the median price is $425,000. How can someone afford $425,000? The most expensive home I ever bought before I started buying mansions was $200,000. That was, that was a 5,000 square foot home. And my next 5,000 square foot home was a mansion in the middle of the Galleria, which is a very expensive part of town in Houston. It was a million. And then, my 16,000 square foot home I built, I, I bought for $2.4 million. It's now worth five or six million, but I bought it for 2.4 million. And you have to understand that home in California would be worth 15 or 20 million. This home in California would be worth 15 or 20 million because it's just way more expensive out there. But what I want you to get is I want you to get the realization $425,000 is the median price. A starter home, kid coming out of college, kid got his job, had a job. Typical of my kids, they're just now getting married and having kids in their mid-30s. They want to go buy a home. A starter home is 350000 bucks. How do you get that? My, my, my son-in-law, he just picked up. A home for like 275000 and he stole it. It was a house he was renting. And he bought it for like $275,000, He goes, should I buy this? I said, you better believe you should because the median price is just out of this world. Now think about that, right? Think about how expensive these homes are for people to get into now. It's, it's becoming more difficult. Now let's add to that. Let's add to that. The interest rates just went from... 2.75 to five and a quarter, five and a half. 
That's doubling the amount of interest. So you've got this massively high cost to get into your starter home, and you have this massively high interest rate comparative. Now, by the way, 5% interest isn't a lot. When I started, interest rates were 11. And when they came down to 9, we thought, oh, my gosh, this is like heaven sent. And when it went down to 3, it was like they had us in the womb again. We were just being regenerated, regerminated as a new human being. It was just unbelievable. And now they're back up. They're going back up to five and a half. So when you look at this situation, you have to think to yourself, how are these people going to get into these homes? Now let's take it one paragraph further. Despite moderating demand, the U.S. median home price hit yet another all-time high and accelerated over March, annual growth pace in April, the real estate listing website said in a statement. While already elevated, this increase may be lower than that, what some home shoppers experience. In other words, some people paid way more than that. That's just the median over the whole country in some locations because medians can shift along with the mixture of for sale inventory. April's median reflects, this is very important to get, fewer large listings. So in other words, these are the smaller homes that are selling for the median of 425 and more mid-sized listings available compared to a year ago. With listing prices per square foot rising at relatively faster paces than overall median price. So you see what they're saying there is that the price per square foot is going up even faster than the overall price, meaning the smaller houses are going up very much faster than the large houses. That's what's happening. And again, so the low-end people are going to have a very hard time to get in. A very hard time to get in. So what what does this mean to people? When we come back from a break, I'll go into how this is going to affect you, me, and the rest of the economy. We'll be right back with the Bell Wong's Radio Show. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Retiring America, one person at a time. This is the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Now, more unconventional wisdom from your host, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio. Today, we're uh, studying an article here came out by the Epoch Times that says that uh, this is the fastest growing real estate market in the history of the United States. I'm going to go on down the article a little bit here. It says, in February, home prices nationwide surged nearly 20% year over year, with the Sunbelt City seeing much higher gains. The last time the U.S. real estate market recorded such exceptional growth was during the 2008 home crisis. So, guys... During 2008, between 2008 and 2010, I tripled my net worth. That's how fast the value of real estate grew during that time. 
And that's how fast it's growing right now. It hasn't done this since 2008, but it's doing it right now. And so you have to ask yourself, do you want to be a part of this or not? But now I want to take you one step further. And I want to talk about the fact that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. The haves have more and the have-nots have less. Why? Because of this term, assets, hard assets. You think about all the people that fall into the category of the left. They fall into the category to where they believe that you should have music and drugs and alcohol and party and travel and live off the government and so forth. What do none of those people have? They don't have assets. Inflation occurs. And by the way, this inflation is driven by the things the left have done. When this inflation occurs, who gets hurt? The left does. Why? Because their people own no assets. They don't believe in assets. They don't believe in working and saving and buying assets. They believe maybe in working but not saving. And even if they do save, savings goes away during inflation. And so they get destroyed. Where the the right that has that conservative approach to life, I work, I save, I buy myself real estate, buy myself a home at least. When I buy that home at $125,000 when I'm 30 years old, and now I'm 60 years old and it's worth a million bucks, at least I have a million dollars worth of asset. Whereas my friend who didn't buy a home, who rented, who bought himself fast cars, motorcycles, who bought himself all kinds of toys and travel, they don't own a home. So they don't have that million dollars worth of assets. And think about all the young kids out there today. Think about all the young kids that can't afford to buy that median price home of $425,000. They can't even get into the asset world. They're being squeezed out of the asset world. And so they have to rent. And so more and more conservative people, more and more wealthy people are buying assets, renting them out to people. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing sinister about that, right? That's nothing the government should do to stop that except teach the left to buy assets, teach poor people to buy assets. Because when they do, and by the way, there are ways for those at that level to enter into home ownership, to enter into asset ownership. It's just going to take a change of their values and their belief systems. But if they don't, think about the fact of the cost of housing going up 20% a year. How can you buy, how can you rent at $1,000 a month this year and next year it's going to be $1,200 a month? It's 20% higher. And the year after that, it's going to be 12. 24% higher, so it's going to be $1,450 a month, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How can you ever get ahead if you don't own assets? You can't keep up with inflation. 
let alone beat inflation. And that's the problem. That's what I see. You, If you ask me what I'd like to do in the world, I would like to save the world from themselves. I'd like to save the world from poverty thinking, from the poverty pimps out there in the government. I'd like to save the world from people out there that don't have the education and the information necessary to see that assets are the only way to get ahead in this world. I'm not even talking about being rich. I mean, I'm quite wealthy per se, but I don't live like a rich guy. I don't consider myself a rich guy. I don't drive around with pretentious clothes, pretentious cars, doing pretentious things. I just am very financially secure. But there are so many people out there that are not even close to financially secure. Then there's a lot of people that are wrapped up in the middle class belief system, the rat race, living in the little prison cubicle or getting on the little rat wheel every day and running on the rat wheel every day. Why are they stuck doing that? Again, because they don't have assets. How much are assets going up in value? 20%. Now, if you add to that 10% cash flow, now you're at 30% a year. And what is your little 401k earning you? Half a percent. Who knows? 1%, 2%. Or is it actually doing that little thing like it did last or this earlier this week? Earlier this week, the stock market dropped a massive number of points. I don't know how much. I don't even watch it. But I, I listen on the side of my, my ear, you know, the side of my eye, looking at it and go, man, they took it on the chin again. And it happens so often now people don't even think about it. It just doesn't even bother them. But my assets, my apartment complexes all over the country, my grocery stores all over the country, my uh Real estate all over the country, it's not going anywhere. It's right where I bought it. It's right where I left it. It's not running away from home, and it's not going down in value. In fact, as we go through this article, when we come back from the break, I'm going to show you that it's stated that it's not going to come back down. In fact, let me see if I can find that. The statement here. Oh, here it is. There's little to no chance of real estate going down because of record low housing inventory and pent-up millennial demand, waiting to snap up houses at every first possible opportunity. Fannie Mae expects an increase of another 10.8% in 2022, slightly down from the 11.6% last year. Friends, if you don't own assets, you're not going to be able to keep up. Take a short break. Be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. You're hearing the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at lifestylesunlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're talking about how rapidly the price of real estate's going up, the value of it's going up and how that's affecting people. The next part of this article is talking about something called the home price to median household income 
ratio. What that basically means is, is that the price of a home, how quickly that value is going up compared to income, your income, and how much that is going up. And so they have a number here, which means nothing to me. They're saying 7.25, which means nothing to me at all. So we'll set that aside and we'll move on to the rest of the article, which is maybe in English. It says, over the last decade, the median household income increased around 11%. So our income in the last decade has gone up 11%, and the median home prices have soared 30%. So according to numbers from the National Association of Home Builders, Wells Fargo Housing Opportunity Index. So whereas housing has gone up by 30%, earnings have only gone up by 11 So you can see that your ability to be able to pay for housing is going backwards. It's getting harder and harder and harder for someone to be able to afford to own housing. Um, it goes on and says, since 1965, okay, the average home values have skyrocketed 118% while the median home income has gone up only 19%. So think about that. From eight, from 65, when many of you were born, and I was born back in 56, so that's 10 years to 9 years before this, but from 65, basically when I was a kid until now, home prices have gone up 118%. I remember my dad bought our first home for 100000 No, for what was it? It was like $10,000, some ridiculously low price I can't even imagine. Maybe it was $1,000. Um, it was just ridiculous. Let's say 10000 bucks, and his payment was like $100 a month. It just ridiculously low price. Um, but back in 65, that's what they were. Now they're 118% increase from there, but household income's only up 19%. You can see that that just can't keep up that way. That's just not going to get you there. So... What are you going to do? Well, if you're not buying assets, you're not keeping up with inflation. Income is not going to keep up with inflation, right? So it goes on and says, despite concerns about higher mortgage rates impacting the pandemic era housing boom, rising rates will only affect new entrants into the real estate market. So why is that? Well, because people have 30-year mortgages. And so Let's say I had a mortgage, which I don't, but let's say you did, and you bought your house a couple of years ago, anywhere 3, 5, 10, 20, doesn't matter. Your interest rate is locked in. So these ever-rising interest rates are not going to affect you. These ever-rising prices are not going to affect you. Do you understand that? Because you've already got your real estate. Think of all the people, like especially somebody like me, who, I mean, I have no idea how much real estate I have. I probably should go back and count, but, you know, there's always time for counting when the dealing's done, and I'm not done dealing yet. So, um, but if you have all this real estate, you can just sit on the sidelines like I do right now and go, I'm waiting, I'm cherry-picking for great deals. I'm not going to just take all the stuff, anything that comes along, at whatever price they want to try to shove it down my throat. I'm waiting for somebody to make a mistake, bail out, and send out, the, you know, the the white flag and say, I surrender, take my property from me, help me out of this property. And so I'll go and help them out of their property at a good price. And if none of that happens, my values just keep going up and up and up and up. And unlike everybody else, I've also got cash flow in all my properties. Every single property I own, rule number two, there's got to be cash flow. That's a rule. 
I don't buy stuff that doesn't cash flow. It doesn't make any sense to own stuff that doesn't cash flow, right? Now, why won't this start to happen with these new people buying mortgages? Why won't they foreclose? Because what it's saying here in this article is that the banks are starting to have robust mortgage underwriting, which means they're clamping down on weak buyers, and they're making people have better credit, more cash, put more down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to be able to buy, right? That's basically what we were doing. I was listening to um, some of my staff talk about letting someone in the other day, and they were going through all the stuff that they, the guy had to, to, to prove up, prove up his income, prove up his credit, prove up his rental history, prove up who was going to live with him, prove up how big his dog was. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of things we look at before we allow someone to move in to our property, just like there's a tremendous number of things a mortgage company looks at before they allow someone to get a mortgage, right? So the question is, if more people are being priced out of the real estate market, will sales volumes and prices start to respond by falling? That's the logical thing you would think, right? That would be my normal economics 101 belief system. If you're squeezing people out of the market, the prices are getting too high, the interest rates are getting too high, you're going to stop people from buying, and there's going to be this situation. And in that situation, the prices should start to go down, right? But these people, here in this article from the Epoch Times, are saying neither large-scale correction nor a major crash can be expected in the market in the near to medium-term future. Why? It's because there's little to no chance of the prices going down because of record low housing inventory and pent-up millennial demand, waiting to snap up homes at the first possible opportunity. Let's not even mention, they're not even mentioning investors waiting to snap up homes at the first possible opportunity. In other words, if pricing slows down, I know as a buyer myself, if pricing slows down, it stops growing. Right now we're all we're buying in a mar- in a marketplace where the prices are going up every time we turn around. If the prices just stop and hold, we're gonna be in a candy shop. If prices even wane just a little bit, we're gonna be like, Wow, it's happened. We will bolster up the bottom of the market. And so They can't see, I can't see, the economists can't see, no one foresees a crash. Not even a pullback. Not even a pullback. Can you imagine that? Let me say that again. Let me use my weird voice. Not even a pullback do they see. Now, as an investor, I'm hoping for a pullback. I'm hoping for a full-blown crash. I'm hoping the Democrats can figure out how to totally destroy this economy. Man, that would be good. Then we could come in and buy it all up, 50 cents on the dollar. But the situation with inflation, with high demand, with low supply, it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. But what could happen? Well, that's not in this article, but I'm going to go ahead and speculate. What could happen? is even with high demand, with massive amounts of cash sitting on the sidelines ready ready to buy anything if the price starts to slack off, there could be a situation where the supply and demand curve slows the volume of transactions 
the inflation slows the volume of transactions. The, the um, interruption of the supply chain slows the volume of transactions. GDP goes crashing down. That happens two months in a row. They call it a recession. Everybody gets scared. Everybody pulls back, and we have a recession. And when there's a recession, now they rewrite the rules. You get out the recessional handbook and say, what's going to happen now? It's not the same as it was when we were in a blisteringly positive economy. And I'm not trying to blame any of this on anybody. I really don't care who's in power. I just care about what they do. And when you look at the economy as what we're living in, right now the economy is still very good. In fact, it's so good that we have inflation. It's overstimulated. Let it cool down a little bit? Don't think so. Why? Because we're going to cut the cost of child care. We're going to forgive student loans. We're going to raise taxes on rich people. And all of those things are going to affect the economy in a negative way. The, the ideals are like sticking your finger in a dike that's about to blow up. That's the type of infantile thinking that's being used to run the country right now. We'll be right back with the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Welcome back to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. Got a question? Call 855-497-4DEL. That's 855-497-4335. Or email Dell at askdell at l-u-i-n-c.com. Welcome back to the Del Wamsley Radio Show. We're going to finish up today's segment or today's show um, in this last segment with an article someone sent me about uh, bonds. It said, U.S. Treasury confirms that I-bonds will pay a 9.62% interest rate. Uh, boy, that that was an interesting statement right there. What kind of bonds? And I didn't really know what I-bonds were, so I looked them up. And uh, I've got a couple pieces of information I'm going to get out to you here. What is an I-bond? I-bonds are investments issued by the U.S. Treasury to protect your money from losing value due to inflation. Interest rates on I-bonds are adjusted regularly to keep pace with rising prices. In addition, series I-bonds are exempt from state and local income taxes, which make them an even better low-risk investment for investors who live in high-tax states and cities. Investors can buy up to $10,000 worth of bonds. There's your first weakness right there. It's only $10,000 worth through the government, a, um, through the government's Treasury Direct website. You can purchase another 5000 with your tax refund, upping the annual total purchase amount of Series I bonds to 15000 per person. Now, I'm assuming that's 15000 per year, but I did not verify that. A bond interest is calculated using so-called composite rate base on a fixed interest rate and an inflation adjustment rate, which we describe in depth below. I-bonds earn interest monthly, though you don't get access to the interest payment until you cash out the bond. There's problem number two, uh, no cash flow. 
Interest you earn is added to the value of the bond twice per year. This means the principal amount you earn interest on increases every six months, positioning your money to compound over time. And that is not as good as being compounded monthly or compounded daily, but compounded every six months. You must own the bond for at least five years to receive all the interest that is due. You cannot cash out, there we go, of an I-bond before holding it for at least a year. If you do so after that point, but before five years, you'll forfeit three months' worth of interest. In other words, between year one and year five, you lose three months' worth of interest if you cash out on these deals. Uh, when do the bonds mature? They mature in 20 years, and then they have another 10-year extension. A bond cannot be cashed out for one year uh, after purchase. So here you go. No cash flow. No. Let me state what I'm saying. These are absolutely better than regular bonds with this interest and inflation adjustment on them, okay? Uh, but why would I not buy these is the point I'm trying to get to is because my – well, let's start with number one. I don't do anything with the government because whatever they promise you in writing here, the Democrats are in control. The Republicans can be in control and change everything. The Democrats can come back in control and change everything. In fact, the Democrats right now are about ready to change everything. They're getting ready to you know, change taxes. So all these things, all these promises from the government really never stand the test of time, right? Okay, second reason, there's no cash flow. How do you retire on a bond that doesn't pay you cash flow that you can't get out of for five years? How do you do that? Now, in the old days, what people would do was something called bond ladders. They would put their money in a bond, and they knew they couldn't get it out for five years, so next year they put some more in another bond, they'd do more in another bond, and when you got to year number six, the first bond could be cashed out. Now, hopefully by then, it had accrued enough interest and it had become worth more, right? That's the idea behind it. But you realize you've not gotten any interest during that time. Let's compare that to a rent house. With a rent house, I'm getting cash flow right away, right out of the blocks, and I'm also getting the appreciation. And I'm getting the mortgage reduction. They're paying my mortgage off, so my equity in the house is growing both because of appreciation and because of mortgage reduction. So my equity is growing from both sides. In addition to that, I'm getting tax advantages. The income I'm earn, earning is being sheltered, tax sheltered, right? Um until I sell the property. But if I sell the property and do 1031, I can then tax shelter it, that income even further down the line. I can keep, you know, pushing it down the line as long as I want. With a bond, if you sell it, you can't 1031 a bond. At that point, you incur taxes. Now, you get out of state and local taxes, which is good, but you have to pay federal taxes on it. So there's some good stuff here. There's a pretty interesting point here that this stuff's out there, but I still wouldn't take it over real estate investing. Now, here's the interesting point. Here is suggested interest rates it will be paying this year because of the inflation we're in, this massive inflation. April is 7.7, May is 6.8, June is 5.8, July is 5.3, August is 5.1, and September is 4.8. While September's year-over-year inflation rate would be 4.8, the reset interest rate for both I-bonds would actually be zero as is determined by the last six months of inflation. So in other words, what's happening is is that eventually, eventually, last year's interest or inflation rate is the same as this year's. So in other words, if next year's inflation rate is 8, and it was 8 this year, then there's no difference. So there's no change. The inflation has been adjusted for already in the interest rate type of a deal. 
All right. The next thing is, next one here, if I can squeeze this in, because my fiance and I are 30 years of age, 30 and 34. We joined up just recently, and we have about $50,000 to invest. We want to get into passive deals. Is that enough? The bottom line is it's going to cost you at least $50,000 to get into most of the passive deals that we have offered. At Lifestyles, we request the leads. Uh, leads are what we call the syndicators here that have certified as a lead, Lifestyles lead. They've passed tests. They've, they've agreed to certain things. And we ask them to let some people in with smaller amounts so that people that don't have large amounts can get into these passive deals. Uh, but 50 is a pretty secure amount. Now, uh, you also have to have the money to be able to join the program, and that adds to that $50,000 if you're looking at it that way. Uh, otherwise, um, getting into the actual investment could be done as low as 50. Now, having said that, I've seen them as low as 10. I saw one guy got in $10,000 because that's all he had, and somebody let him in, and that deal ended up earning like 300% return, so he made like 30 grand on his 10. That's, you know, don't let past performance indicate future performance, but it just was a deal I happened to see. Uh, it was pretty interesting. So there it is. You can get in just about any amount you want, but 50000 is a good number. Well, remember this, folks. We're doing this not for a pile of money. We're doing this for a quality lifestyle. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.